Hear the word of the Lord. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our God will stand forever. I mean, you may be seated. Let me pray for us. Holy, merciful God in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. Your word, which is our life, the source of life. By your word, all that is came into being. We pray that you would use your word to strengthen us, to stir our hearts to you, that we might believe and we might not, and we might believe in your son, united to him, having his life in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. You know, when I was uh, a young lad in the middle school, high school, somewhere in there, you know, one of my favorite Study subjects of study was that kind of explorers coming, you know, from the east to the west, exploring this new new land. And uh, my favorite explorer um, was always Ponce de Leon. And it turns out he wasn't a, actually a great guy, but the name just kind of rolls right off your tongue. And the and the, one of my favorite parts about Ponce de Leon was the the legends of his search for the fountain of youth, right? This this fountain that that you would go into and it would have healing properties and restore youth and you could live forever. And he, the legend has it that he searched high and low following rumors and myths, uh, trying to find it. But alas, he, he never did. And, um, you know, as I was even reading about old Ponce for this sermon, one of the bummers is that historians think that most of that is actually made up. Um, that most of what we, you know, if you learned that in, in history, that most of that is actually more uh, fiction than fact, and that's, you know, historians, the what, the what blankets in the room, ruining good stories and legends for us. Um, but even though that that's likely not true, I think there's something that our hearts are drawn to, even in hearing Ponce de Leon's quest, that is in each of us. This quest for eternal life. I think we, we feel it. We long for it. Only today, I don't think there's many explorers out there looking for fountains of, of youth because we're too sophisticated in our day and age to believe that there could be magic in the world. But I, I think one of the ways it actually looks is in the devotion to technological advances where people are actually trying to find ways to merge themselves with digital spaces where they can live forever. It's, it's called singularity. It's an insane thing. If you want to do a deep dive this afternoon on it, go for it. Um, not the best way to maybe spend your Sabbath afternoon, but uh, but the goal of, of that, just like the goal of the fountain of youth, this goal that's I think been in humanity since the beginning is to search this quest for eternal life. We all have it in us. 
Uh, so one of the questions, what makes us so fascinated with living forever? Why do we still try to achieve it? Why do we ignore death, pushing it to the margins of life? I think at the end of the day, we were made for eternity. We weren't made to live in a world that has death and dying and decay. We're actually made to live in a world that does not wither, where bodies don't age and decay, where there is no disease or death or dying. This is what's meant to be. Only in the fall of humanity, we, we lost this, and death entered the world, and even though we, we live in, the, in a world that has death in it, we still can't help long for eternal life. This is echoes of Eden that are in our souls, eternity written on our hearts. We can't help but seek it out, dream about it. The question then lies in how, how, do, we, how do we seek it out? How do we get back to that place, like the garden? How do we find that fountain of youth? How do we live forever? Do we achieve it in the testimony of man or the testimony of God? And here, what we find before us at the end of John's letter to the church, he answers this question for us. That we don't find eternal life in the pursuits and the promises of, of man, but life can only be found in the promises of God. You don't have to sail across oceans and cut through jungles to get it. You don't have to download your brain into a computer to get it. You just have to believe in the Son of God. Jesus, who is the author of this life and the, the victor over the grave. It's in Jesus that you find eternal life. And so as we kind of meditate on this idea of eternal life this morning, we're going to look at two things here in our text. First, we're going we're to see the promise of eternal life. The promise of eternal life. And second, we're going to see the, the testimony of eternal life. The testimony of eternal life. So first, the promise of eternal life. Uh, and uh, we're going to start as we dive into our text, actually working backwards, starting at the, at the end of the text and, and working towards the, the front because everything is moving towards this promise of eternal life here. So let's look with me back here, verses 11 to 12. It says this. Actually, I'm probably gonna sneak in and read verse 13 too. Um, it says this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So John is kind of getting to the, the point of his writing, similar to the point of his writing, the Gospel of John. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to have it, to, to know that you have it. And he plainly tells you, listen, all that you have to do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To, to have this eternal life. It's belief, faith in Christ alone brings life. And because Jesus is resurrected to, to new life, his life he shares with you if you simply believe in him. This is, this is highly important. It's not your perfection. It's not your works. But it's the works of Christ and his victory of the grave that give you life. He's saying have faith in him and his life is yours. Eternal life. And I think there's, there's something in the beautiful simplicity of scripture when it comes to this good news, this gospel of Jesus. You don't have to go on a quest for it. You don't have to invent new technology. You don't have to build some new Tower of Babel to achieve this. His life he freely shares if you just believe that Jesus is the Son of God, which is that he is the King of Kings. If you believe this, eternal life is yours. Which kind of begs at least one question. Well, what is this eternal life that he's promising his people? What is this eternal life? And so we're going to look at the, the, these two words, eternal and life. The first word tells us the duration of this life that he's promising. 
That it's at least speaking of this duration that's forever, it's without end, which is important. I mean, this, is, this is the part that I think is really hard for us to imagine. I think it's hard for us to imagine either side of this, but I think it, the eternal nature of the eternal life that's promised is really hard for us to imagine because everything we experience in life is temporary. From the people in our lives to the world around us, we have a hard time imagining what eternal will be like. And even when we enjoy the good things in this world, we know that those seasons come and go too. And we worry, when's those good, when are those good seasons going to fade? Uh, we want it, but when we think about it too long, it, it makes our, our brains go crazy thinking about eternity. You know, there was a, a show on a while back called The Good Life, and this is not an endorsement of that show. But I was curious about it because they're dealing, it's a show that's dealing with eternity, heaven, and hell. I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of the story, but I'm going to ruin it for you. But at the, at the very end, um, the protagonists of the story find themselves, after much work and, and toil, they find themselves in heaven. And after they spent, I can't remember how long, let's say it's hundreds of years in heaven doing whatever they wanted every single day, um, they actually get bored. And they create this portal. And if they walk to this portal, they cease to exist. And they create this portal. There's this little emotion, a moment of emotion. And they walk through this portal and they cease to exist, and the show's over. Super hopeful vision of the future. But I, th I think that this is often, when we think about eternal, it's like, it does sound a little boring to us. What are we gonna do for forever? Forever's a long time. I get bored on an afternoon when I don't have something to do. What are we gonna do for forever, right? But I think uh, th this is one of the challenges uh, for us, and this is where we find eternal life is more than just the duration of it. We're, we're promised more than just a long duration life, but it's about the quality and the kind of life that we're going to have for forever. You know, when the, when the Bible talks about life, typically there's, there's two different words that are used to talk about it. There's zoe and bios. Zoe is this word where we get our, our word zoology from. It's kind of the study of life that speaks more to the source, the substance of our life. This is actually the word that John is using here. Bios is the other word. It's where we get our word biology from. And in scripture, bios is used to talk about our livelihood, our, our vocations, the, the physical parts of our, our life. And I think one of our challenges is, is that bios is typically what we think of when we think about our own lives here in this earth. Looking to our jobs, our wealth, our success as if they are the source of life. But that's not what John is talking about here. This isn't how he's defining e life. He's using the word zoe to speak of eternal life. And, uh, you know, in, uh, in John 1, John uses the same word, zoe, when he calls Jesus the life. He says Jesus is the zoe. He's, he is, so eternal life is not merely just life forever. But it's eternal life united to Christ. That's what we just read about in our gospel reading. It's, it's abundant life. So the promise of eternal life is the promise of this uninterrupted life with God, which I know is still a little bit of an abstract idea because we have not experienced that. It's hard to imagine for us something that we've never experienced and no one that's alive today has ever experienced. And I think, so I think there's a, there's a couple other places in scripture that will help us with our, our imagination of, of what this will mean to have eternal life with Christ. The, the first one I want to look at is 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To an inheritance, it's that eternal life, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
This is, this is the kind of life that John is speaking of. Life that is given definition by Christ. Life that does not fade. Life that isn't defiled by sin. Life that does not decay. This can only happen in Christ because Christ is the feeder of death and decay. As he rose from the dead, his, his resurrection is the proof because he is not currently decaying in the ground right now. And neither will we when our life is united with his life. When we share the same Zoe. You know, and uh, the other popular place to look to, which is beautiful, is Revelation. The end of Revelation, it expands on this vision of eternal life saying this. In 21.3 and 22.3, it says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then down in the chapter 22, he says this, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is the vision for eternal life from scripture that Jesus is promising us. Life of an uninterrupted presence with the Father in heaven sitting around his table, sitting under his uninterrupted rule where there will be no more sin, no more tears, no more pain, no more curse. We will see the face of God face to face. We will be with him, something that nobody's seen since the garden. This is the Zoe life that we will enjoy forever and ever without end. Garden life forever. I mean, think about just your morning and all the pains of your morning today. There's probably a pile of them if we added them all up in our room, just getting here to church at 10 a.m., more like 1010. Uh, think about your, your week, right? Think about the, the, the trials and pains of your week. Think about the trials and pains of your last year, of your life. Think about your tears, your sadness, your sin, the sin against you, the sin that you cannot overcome on your own, in your own life. All of that will be wiped away. Not just momentarily, not just, there won't just be a season of the good life here that's being promised. It will be eternal, forever, without end. The world will be healed. Zoe life forever. This is what is promised to us in Christ. This is the life that he offers to you if you just believe in him. This is the life that he promises us forever, eternal. It's an incredible vision. It's greater than any vision of the fountain of youth that promised anybody or any technological advance can provide. This kind of life can only come through Jesus because only he has conquered the grave. I think one of our challenges, though, is we still live in a world that does decay. You know, when we hear these truths, we feel comforted in this room by this truth. It's a comforting truth. It's meant to comfort us. It's meant to give us faith and hope and love. We hear it, we feel comforted, but as soon as you walk out those doors... Everything we see in the world comes crashing in our life and we remember, no, this world still decays. All parts of our life are defiled by sin. We ache, we pain, we attend funerals. It's springtime, you have to weed, we mend broken irrigation pipes. You know, it's, it's hard to believe these promises as soon as you walk out these doors. And because we've never experienced this Zoe life for forever without end in a world without sin, it's hard for us to imagine this life that's been promised to us in scripture. So the question for us is, well, how do we trust these promises? How do we know that they're true when we've never tasted the, the depths of them? When we haven't seen them? How do we know when we haven't seen it yet? You know, many promise all sorts of things. 
What makes the promises made by John in scripture here better? What makes his promises better is this. It's the one that's testifying to this truth. This is the second thing we find here is the testimony of eternal life. The testimony of, of eternal life. And I think we all know this, that it matters who's telling us something is true or not true. Right? If someone who's always lying to you tells you something, you're probably not going to believe them. Right? And, and here we find the source of this promise and why it's trustworthy. Look with me back here, verse 6 to 8. It says this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. So who is testifying to us this eternal life? Why can we believe this? Because the water and the blood and the Spirit testify. We're good? We can move on? Like, we know what it sounds good, right? It sounds this poetic thing here. And that's what John, he's always so poetic and he's like talking and dancing with his words. But sometimes you're like, well, what does that actually mean, John? What, what are these water, blood, and spirit that he's telling us about that testify that Jesus is the Son of God, the giver of how, how can we believe them? Well, as you can imagine, if you're reading commentaries and other people that have talked about this, there's a lot of different ideas about the water, blood, and spirit referred to. Some say it's going back to the beginning in Genesis and Exodus, and others say it's referring to Jesus' baptism, in the, which you find at the beginning of the Gospels. Others will say it's in reference to the sacraments, or others will say it's in reference to the water and blood that pours out of Jesus' side on the, on the cross, and uh, lots of other ideas. And these various people will argue their position over and against the other, say, no, no, this is actually what he's talking about. And what I'm going to try to convince you of uh, this morning is that they're all right. Uh, that it's no accident that you actually find these symbols, these same symbols showing up throughout Scripture. And each one of these moments, I think, is actually most fully seen in the person and work of Christ. But I think all of these elements are pointing to this truth that Jesus is the Son of God, which further strengthens the testimony actually of the, the blood and water and the Spirit to declare who Jesus is. So to begin, I mean, this is an echo first of Genesis 1, right? The spirit hovering over the water, uh, waiting to give birth to all creation. The only thing that's missing in this scene is the blood. It's suggesting that, that this new creation that is promised in Christ will come not just by water and spirit only, but through the blood and the sacrifice of Christ. These images begin to, to shape in Genesis 1. Secondly, I think this is a reminder of the Passover and the exodus out of Egypt with these images, right? There's the blood that, that went over the, the doorposts from the Passover lamb. And as the people fled Egypt, they walked to the water of the Red Sea and there's a spirit cloud that led the people. Again, you have these three symbols together. Jesus is a new Moses leading a new Passover and Exodus from sin to the land of promise, eternal life. The images begin to take on fuller meaning as scripture unfolds itself. And of course, all these promises all the Old Testament finds its yes and amen in Christ. All pointing to him. They point to the testimony of his life. Jesus, who began his life, baptized in water. What happens at his baptism? The spirit descends. The clouds open up. The father declares that this is the son, his son. He's testifying to this great truth, that Jesus is the son of God. And in his baptism, Jesus also identifies with us, with his people, with sinners. It's one of the things that's happening in his, the baptism of Jesus, that he identifies with his people, with sinners. This is the one, one of the guarantees we have of eternal life and that we belong to him, is that Jesus actually wants sinners to be his people. He wants people who are dead on their own, who on their own have no capacity to attain life, and so he comes 
to identify with us that he might share his life. The water and the blood and the spirit testify to this truth. But in that, even in the baptism, what about the blood? The blood's missing from them. And this is where we find the third and much needed testimony, which it says it's needed. You need the testimony of the blood and you find that in Jesus most, most potently on the cross. Jesus who was crucified. Jesus, the perfect one who not only identified with sinners, but who suffered for them as well. And what happens to him on the cross? Well, his side is pierced. And John writes about this actually in John chapter 19, that water and blood pour out. And when John writes about this in his gospel in chapter 19, he emphasizes that he witnessed it and that the water and blood imagery testify to the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the son of God coming to bring new life. As one commentator, Peter Lightheart, says it, speaking of the water and blood pouring from his side and how, how they are a testimony and what they testify to, he says this, that they testify that Jesus is the new Adam, the second Adam, birthing the church, right, the new Eve from his side. Just as Eve was, was formed from Adam's side, so now the church is formed from the side of Christ. This is the, the new Eden, which flowed with four rivers to the four points of the, of the compass. He is the, the new rock in the wilderness, which gave water when struck to save the lives of Israel. He is the, the new temple of an Ezekiel, which flowed water to renew his people. He is all of this because he died on the cross, and from his side flowed blood and water flowing to renew his people, to bring about new life. They testify to the truth of who Jesus is, of who this is that makes this claim of eternal life, that he is the son of God who has come to fix a broken world to bring healing to the nations. You know, and the spirit was active at this moment on the cross as well. As the blood and water poured out, his spirit poured out as well. In John's gospel, uh, right before the, the water and blood poured out, John says that Jesus gave up his spirit and that the meaning of that, that word can be lost to us on English, but that word also means not just to, to give up, but it means to hand over, suggesting not just his spirit leaving him, but it suggests a passing on of the spirit, passing it on to his people, which is why the centurion immediately recognized Jesus as the son of God in his death, because the spirits poured out on the cross along with his water and his blood, all three working together to testify to the work that Jesus is doing on the cross that he is the son of God, that he is birthing a new world in himself, new life that he shares with us. You see this, this imagery here of water, blood, and spirit testifying to the truths of what's being said here is not contained in one single moment, but it's, it's the whole story of scripture. Water, blood, and spirit continually testifying to God's work and faithfulness to his people. It's a testimony that is as old as time that always speaks the truth, more trustworthy than the testimony of man, which is what we find here in verse nine. It says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son, that whoever believes in the son of God has a testimony in himself. And whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Right? The reality is men's testimony can be faulty. Men lie. Even when men aren't trying to lie, men can get facts wrong. All, right, all the proof you need in who Jesus is is found in the water, blood, and the spirit of truth. That, that all agree to, with each other. That Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God who is coming to make all things new, to bring new creation. He's saying, listen, if you believe the testimony of men, then how much more should you trust the testimony of Christ, a testimony that was guaranteed by the spirit, water, and blood in which he shares his life with us? 
And all this means that the, that the promise of eternal life is not an empty promise, but it's a real one, given by the only one who can actually promise this, because he's the only one that actually has tasted it, and he shares it with you, guaranteeing it in himself. And he says, believe in this, and it's yours. You know, and what's amazing is that this life that's offered to us here is not just a future eternal life, but he shares his spirit with us now, right? Poured out on all who believe, right? This, is, this abundant life in the future is so potent that we can actually live in this abundant life now because by faith, we actually share the Zoe of Christ now, his very life source. But you might say, but we still die and we decay and, and all that, yes, but when you have the son, and you have eternal life, our death on this earth becomes only a moment in life. It's actually not our end. It's a, it's a, it's a transition, it's a, a gateway to a transform, renewed life beyond anything we could ask or imagine. Right? In Christ's victory over the grave, death is actually incorporated as an experience of life that leads to everlasting life. I know that on this side of the gateway, though, our doubts about this truth can linger. We can wonder if following Jesus really is the way to eternal life. The, the testimony of man creeps in, promising life in other ways, and we can wonder, we can be confused which way is truer. Maybe there is another way. Maybe there's, a, there's an easier path. And this is where I hope that you can find great solace and comfort this morning, that there is no stronger testimony than that of the water and the spirit and the blood. And these three birthed the new world, and, and they're birthing it again in Christ. And we're called to look to their testimony. Because it's only in Jesus that you can have life. So cling to the Son who, wit who is witnessed by the Spirit, water, and blood. Cling to the Son and look ahead to life with him that will never end. May we be a people who do this, who believe the testimony and testify to this great truth until the whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious and merciful Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word that speaks a better word. We give you thanks for your spirit which testifies to this truth. I pray that your spirit would work in each of our hearts strengthening our belief in this great truth that you are the son of God. The life is found in you and in you alone. May we hold on to these truths. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.